You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome back to our show Reverend Canon Robin Dodge, Rector of the Church of the Holy Faith in downtown Santa Fe, and also the Canon for Ecumenical and Interfaith Dialogue for the Episcopal Diocese of the Rio Grande. Father Robin, it's been, uh, it was since June 2019 when you were last on our show. Welcome back to our show. Thank you very much, Rabbi Neil. It's great to be back with you. So let's talk about this ecumenical and interfaith dialogue. So why don't we start here in your tradition? What, what is the purpose of ecumenical or interfaith dialogue? I think the, uh, the purpose for Episcopalians and for Anglicans in, um, in ecumenical, meaning uh, among other Christian bodies and interfaith among uh, the various um, religions, is to... Um, to see where we can make a difference uh, together in the world. We're not going to uh, agree on, on doctrine, and uh, we're not going to agree on, on many points of faith, um, but we can all come together, uh, I think, especially in, um, in activities that can make a difference in our communities in Santa Fe and, uh, and beyond, where we find uh, you know, common ground in... Um, alleviating uh, suffering, uh, in helping the poor, in, uh, in proclaiming um, social justice, and uh, um, showing the world that despite our differences, we can come together on, um, on, on various topics to, uh, to make a difference for, for good in, uh, in our communities. I guess my question that comes from that, because that, that sounds like such important, essential work, is that sounds like that doesn't sound like dialogue. It sounds like planning and, and acting. Is, is it dialogue in the sense of what, which suffering do we address? How do we help the poor? Is that the kind of dialogue that you focus on? That's certainly a, a big component when we come together to do um, the good work that we, I think, are, are all called to do. Um, but I, part of the dialogue also is just listening to other people from um, different faith perspectives to understand their own faith, um, because out of listening to people and hearing about their faith and where um, their belief system is based, I think we get a better understanding of our own um, faith and where we're coming from. And that kind of dialogue can go um, a long way to breaking down barriers, um, um, you know, alleviating suspicions, um, that sort of thing that can uh, cause us not even to enter into dialogue in the first place. It's lovely to hear this. I love the fact when you said that, you know, listening to others of a differing faith perspective helps us learn more about our own. In some sense, that's that's very often the perspective of this show. And what happens in this show is I learn from others 
and I learn about myself from others and, and hopefully listeners learn about themselves from being challenged by some of the questions and, and, and the answers that they hear. Is therefore is what's the ultimate purpose of dialogue, interfaith or ecumenical dialogue? Is it to help ourselves grow? Is it to to just be with the other? Or is it, as you said, breaking down, is it to show that there is no other? Is it for you to show that we're all essentially the same, or is it to celebrate difference? I think it really is to celebrate um, difference. Um, uh, I think there are fundamental differences, um, and we're not all the same. I mean, we obviously share um, common humanity, um, but our belief systems, I think, can go in, in, uh, in different directions. Um, but the important thing, I think, is that we can come together and learn from one another, that we can listen to one another and get a sense of who the other is um, in a way that's not frightening, that's not off-putting, that's not um, divisive. Um, but actually um, helps us to see where our our common humanity is and uh, where our differences are, but where we can overcome those differences then to, uh, I guess, do lead into the action that I was talking about before in you know, trying to um, come together to make um, the world a better place. What does that mean for you to make the world a better place? Is there a, is there a sort of end goal of... of the best place for the world or is it very much like we just see suffering here and, and let's just address that without a larger vision almost yeah i think for our community of santa fe it's it's coming together to um to alleviate suffering um to uh, um you know, increase literacy in our in our community to do those things that um seem to be insolvable problems but uh but working at it, coming together, um, making a difference where um, people are, are not without hope, that there is a sense that uh, coming together we can do things, we can make things happen, and, um, and we can alleviate the, uh, the hurt and the suffering that so many people in our community are experiencing. I think it's, it's wonderful to hear you share this. If... Only at the moment I'm the co-president of the Interfaith Leadership Alliance, which was set up partly around setting up the Interfaith Community Shelter to address homelessness in Santa Fe and particular aspects of homelessness that hadn't been addressed elsewhere. I guess so that leads me to ask in your interfaith dialogue, what kinds of activities can communities and faith engage in and either ecumenically or between faiths what you mentioned increasing literacy and, and uh, addressing suffering are there concrete examples of things that you do in your dialogue that has um, that you can share well a lot of it just needs to take place on the uh, the grassroots level so uh, it all um begins with the local faith communities and that uh, holy faith we uh, through our uh, mission and outreach um, committee, um, work toward uh, alleviating um, suffering and increasing literacy. We, as you know, are uh, at Holy Faith are great supporters of the Interfaith Community Shelter, and it's one of our um, our, our largest um, efforts toward outreach in the community. 
Um, so I, I take an active role in, in all that as, as rector of my uh, local parish church. It's a bit harder on, um, on a um, larger scale to do that. There is a, a lot of talk, uh, but how we all come together, and I know you probably experienced this in the Interfaith Leadership Alliance, how you can um, make all that dialogue uh, come into fruition for action is, uh, is, is, a, harder, uh, is a harder goal. Uh, I serve on the New Mexico Council of Churches, and, and we struggle with this for the entire state of how um, we can make a difference in our local communities as we, as we come together. Um, you know, there is a, um, a lot of talk and, uh, and great ideas, but actually doing the planning and, uh, and um, you know, hitting the ground is, um, is um, sometimes uh, elusive, let's say. <laughs> Do you find, I mean, it's, it's wonderful when you're sharing this. Do you find when you're, when you said the word outreach, it's interesting how that triggered in me Out, outreach. Is that the mission? Is that um, spreading? I mean, I guess I'm coming from a, a Jewish perspective. As soon as I hear of Christian outreach, one of my first thoughts is reaching out to spread the word of Christianity. But that's not what you're talking about, is it? And I, and I think my question that comes from that is, do you find that people are skeptical of some of the work you do? Because even though you're talking about listening and helping relieve suffering, do people fear proselytization, basically? Um, I think that may be the case uh, for a, a few, but um, at least in, in my trend, um, tradition and, and in my thinking, um, I mean, outreach is mission, uh, we, and we call it mission and outreach. It's um, going out beyond the church walls um, and, uh, and working in the community and uh, uh, bringing the love of God to uh, the community. It's also the love of Christ from our tradition, yes, but it's not proselytizing. That's not the reason for doing it. Um, the reason for doing it is that we... Um, are all created in God's image, and we are commanded by our, our Lord to go out and take care of the poor and, uh, you know, alleviate suffering. The, um, the word that I would use for proselytizing um, is evangelism, and that's not a bad word, uh, at least from my perspective, because uh, part of um, our, our mission is to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the love of Christ um, to everyone, but that's not um, that's not a matter of going out and looking for conversions. Where um, you know, um, if if that happens along the way, so be it. But that's not the the uh, the prime purpose of um, of evangelism, and it's not the um, um, certainly not the uh, the prime purpose for uh, for outreach. It's to go out and. Uh, and just be with um, fellow human beings and uh, and address the um, um, the social issues that uh, that we see, um, like literacy, homelessness, and and uh, and the rest. Um, that's um, just a motivation out of uh, a love for God and uh, um, love for our fellow human beings. Um, at the start of um, um, all our our Eucharist, our masses. Um, we um, we are we say hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith: Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The you know the two 
um, great commandments, which uh, um, I know come from your tradition as well. Right. And so it's uh, a matter of loving God and uh, a matter of loving neighbor. And uh, that's really um, the source for um, this, um, this outreach. You mentioned being commanded to do this work. Before we take our break, can you share from your faith perspective maybe some of those commands almost, some of that, what is it that your faith tradition calls you to do in order to address suffering? Are there specific examples of commandments more than just love your neighbor as yourself? Because some people might hear that as, as a feeling as opposed to an action. You know, is it the Beatitudes? What is it that, that calls you um, from your faith perspective to, to, to alleviate suffering? Well, I believe we're uh, commanded to uh, um, to feed the hungry and uh, visit the sick, clothe the naked. Um, it comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. And uh, when we see that kind of suffering in the world, um, we are commanded to uh, to do something about it, because in so doing, we um, uh, are actually could be ministering to, to Christ himself. And so... Uh, uh, we're commanded to do that uh, in uh, in Jesus' name, not to convert, but um, but to be a source of love and care and um, and peace and goodwill in the world. This is wonderful. We have to take a break, and we'll we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Reverend Canon Robin Dodge, Rector of the Church of the Holy Faith in downtown Santa Fe and Canon for Ecumenical and Interfaith Dialogue for the Episcopal Diocese of the Rio Grande. And we'll be back just in a moment. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Reverend Canon Robin Dodge, Rector of the Church of the Holy Faith in downtown Santa Fe, and Canon for Ecumenical and Interfaith Dialogue for the Episcopal Diocese of Rio Grande. And you were talking before about uh, before our break about that that commandment to do good from from your faith tradition. What obstacles do you face? in engaging in ecumenical or interfaith dialogue, which can then, as you were sharing, help improve the world? What are, what are the obstacles for you? Um, I think some of the obstacles are, um, are mistrust um, of, um, of, of skepticism that... Um, the reason for engaging in ecumenical and interfaith dialogue and uh, and um, and ministry uh, is uh, to convert, you know, to bring people um, to a particular um, religious tradition. Um, I think that uh, uh, you know, 
sometimes it's like the uh, the adage, well, you know, I'm here from Washington and I'm here to help. Uh, mm, right. You know, for people who uh, may not be involved in a faith community, they think that there is perhaps uh, perhaps a catch uh, that goes with it. And uh, um, so that's one obstacle. And then I think uh, among people of various faith traditions, it's, um, you know, seeing it as, well, this is the way we would do things, and we can't get our head around other ways of doing things. We're sort of entrenched in our own um, religious traditions, our own ways of doing things, our own um, polity, our own politics, that uh, um, it's harder to break down those barriers and, uh, and work together um, for, the, for the good of humanity. Is, is one of the challenges coming from that almost the maybe even an underlying disagreement of what the good of humanity is because we we come from very different philosophical theological worldviews and sometimes let's take a let's take an obvious example the number of people who stand by the traffic lights in Santa Fe asking for money and some people say no it's good to help them and it's good to give them money and others say no it's good to give them food not money because they might spend money in ways that might not help them or some people say no don't give money to them give money to the organizations that might help support them so even in a, a simple example like that it can be quite difficult to agree what good is so is that also something that you uncover in, something you you discover in your work? That's that's um, a wonderful example. Yes, I mean because people do have different approaches to um, you know what is the good, and uh, and part of it you know comes from um, you know our perhaps our religious traditions uh, as well, um, and and how we've been brought up, and and how our own um, churches and uh, and synagogues and mosques. Respond uh, to outreach in the community, and you know what kinds of uh, vehicles they have set up to um, to address needs of the community. I wonder regarding the the skepticism. We had a guest on our show a number of shows ago who was talking about the church being part of the establishment and how church should be away from establishment and, in fact, challenging establishment. Do you feel that there might be an underlying fear of establishment of the church not existing on the level of people, but existing on the level of church itself? Could that be part of the skepticism or mistrust? I think I think very much that is part of, uh, of the skepticism and mistrust, although um, I would think in, in this day and age uh, where we see the church um, as really being... Um, Countercultural in many ways. It's, it's you know it's not the culture to show up uh, on a Sunday morning for services or on a on a Friday evening for Shabbat. It's uh, um, you know that's that's not what the majority of people nowadays do. So uh, um, linking the um, religious uh, establishment with um, the culture is. Uh, you know, is is breaking down. I think uh, it used to be the case that that was you needed to belong to a faith community in order to be a respectable citizen. That's no longer the case, and so I think that um, opens up all sorts of possibilities for um, for the religious communities to uh, 
uh, first address um, you know the needs of the people who cross the threshold into their services. They're um, they're there because um, more and more they want to be there. They they want to learn. They want to worship. They um, they want to experience a, a form of community, um, and uh, they're not just there to um, you know to get ahead at work or whatever because to see and be seen uh, because it's just not that kind of culture any longer. I love the idea of of religion being countercultural and therefore almost being more valid or authentic. Perhaps I, I think that's a really wonderful perspective. I, I'm. I'm thinking about the obstacles that you shared, the mistrust and skepticism, but the second one you said about being entrenched in religious ways, how do we move beyond that entrenchment? What is it that needs to happen to help this dialogue happen more? Um, and if we – is entrenchment partly a, a security against the insecurity of life? So how, how do we break down entrenchment? Well, we always like to do things the way we've always done them. I mean, I think that's a a large part of of human nature. And so I see the breakthrough coming from this ecumenical and interfaith dialogue to learn how, um, you know, different faith communities um, tackle these problems. So we can learn from one another, um, and we can sort of break out out of our own boxes by by listening to one another and seeing, you know, how, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel just because, um, you know, we happen to be Episcopalian and the Presbyterians do it this way and the Roman Catholics do it this way and the Jews do it this way. And, and I don't mean to no, no, sure. use Jews as a sweeping term because I know you have your own <laughs> like differences. Like the Orthodox Jews do it that way. Right. Yeah, so right. uh, I, I don't mean to paint with a, you know, a wide brush, but uh, um, but it's... Uh, it, I think uh, serving in this capacity as uh, as an ecumenical interfaith officer of the diocese, that um, I learn new ways of doing things. I, I listen, and and uh, you know we're all set up a, a little differently of how um, you know we can um, um, break down some uh, some entrenchment in 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 our uh, in our own traditions by seeing how you know different traditions do things. And I think that's um, very helpful uh, in getting a wider perspective and making, uh, you know, a bigger difference um, in, in what we do. You remind me of the, the old joke about one room, two Jews, three opinions. Um, <laughs> and I, I do feel like um, with interfaith dialogue, it's even more challenging, isn't it? Because exactly what you're saying, we, there are so many different expressions of faith, even within one branch of faith, which is in and of itself and one of many expressions of faith within a larger faith context. So um, it's almost, it sounds to me, what we're talking about really is is meeting people on a human level and hearing their perspective of, of how to make the world a better place and, and what role their faith has in that. And, and meeting, where, meeting them where they are. You know, not, you know, not bringing our own biases and prejudices about uh, um, what we think, you know, a Presbyterian is, or what an Episcopalian is, or um, what an Orthodox Jew is. Um, you know, just um, taking that layer away and just, uh, you know, meeting the person where he or she is, and 
and listening with an open mind and an opening and an open heart. But can we get rid of those biases? I, I, I think we can. But it's interesting, for example, you know, earlier on in our conversation where I said, as soon as you started using the word mission, that how that brought something up in me and that, that reveals my bias. Mm-hmm. How do we move beyond those biases and prejudices? Well, I, again, I think it's, it's, it's by the talking, just by our talking here. Um, and you're asking the question about, well, what do you mean by... Uh, by outreach um, and uh, giving me an opportunity to say where I'm coming from and what my perspective is, um, you know, we got beyond that, and uh, and uh, and hopefully you have a broader interpretation of of what outreach may mean, and I have a better understanding of that when I use that term, it can be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, when I get up and and give a sermon on uh, at any given point, uh, and then afterwards. And, uh, after the service, you know, people come by and they'll tell me what they heard in my sermon. And I thought, well, gee, I don't know where that came from. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it, you know, you um, you have to uh, um, allow God some room to work with your words and in the hearts and minds of your listener. And uh, you know. Uh, that's exciting because God can do all sorts of uh, things that we could never ask or imagine. You, you remind me of a time in my previous community back in England when I gave a sermon and somebody came up and literally thanked me for the exact opposite of every single thing I had been saying. And I found myself wondering, do I correct them or do I acknowledge that's what they heard? And in the end, I said, I, I'm so pleased that was the message you got even though so it's fascinating for me i guess just how we use words and how words are heard mm-hmm. becomes uh, just even that establishing common terms and common ground um to for language i think is really helpful i think and it, it may be that's the message that that particular person needed to hear that day or that's the message that god wanted them to hear in the final minute or so What's the future of interfaith dialogue as far as you're concerned? I think it's uh, something that we have to be intentional at keeping at. Um, It's not going to happen just by itself. We need people who are committed um, to engage um, in uh, in interfaith and and ecumenical dialogue to uh, um, to really make it happen. And I think it's a worthy goal because, um, as I said before, we can learn so much more about ourselves, but we can also um, learn about others, and we can break down barriers. And in our broken world today, um, you know, breaking down barriers and finding our our, our common setting and all uh, is uh, uh, is a good thing, and we need more of that, more opportunity to do that. I think, especially as we silo ourselves away as we're separated online being present being in community doesn't just mean being physically present but being able to hear i mean i really from you i'm really hearing of the importance of hearing yes yes reverend canon robin dodge it's been uh, it's been a pleasure having you on our show again thank you so much for coming back to the show and thank you so much for sharing your work and the the importance of us all coming together 
and making sure that we learn from each other and listen from each other and then act, overcome differences, share our common humanity and then act as human beings together. Thank you so much for coming back to our show. You're welcome, Rabbi Neil. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching. Mm -hmm.